Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinion. Today is June 18th, 2018, and this is episode 242. My name is Jake English. And this is Andrew Stetka. Wait, what? I mean, Scott did come by earlier. He, he gave me a hug, and, and then he just left without saying a word. Does, does that mean what I think it means? Yeah, it does. It means he's been traded to the Yumiuri Giants. Oh, man. That's not going to work out. He's way too tall for that. All right, look, before he gets to the airport, I will do everything I can to get Scott Magnus back. But in the meantime, Andrew, thank you for pinch hitting. I appreciate it. On today's show, we'll go around the bases on this week in Orioles baseball. And I'll try to bring a little class to this otherwise lacking podcast. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Andrew, uh, we are free to do whatever we want. Scotty uh, will make fun of me every week if I fail to bring something good to the show. So <laughs> the the options are limitless. What are you drinking this evening? Uh, I have a, a mixed drink that I discovered over the last week, and I, I, I started drinking it in honor of the U.S. Open Golf Tournament, which was this past weekend. It's actually a drink that they make at Aaron Hills, the course that they played at last year in Wisconsin. Uh, and it's called a Fescue Rescue. It is one-third Jameson, one-third lemonade, one-third ginger beer. Mix that over ice, and it is a delicious summer drink uh, and potent enough to get you through anything the Orioles will actually do this summer. That's what I like to hear. Kind of Your, your description, however, reminds me of the Orioles Spastic's uh, description of the gin palmer, which is one-half lemonade, one-half iced tea, one-half gin. Um, <laughs> I am working my way through a gin and tonic. However, I plan to break out some truly classless beer as the evening uh, unfolds just to see if Scotty's paying attention on Untapped. And that brings me to the next point, which is you can follow us on Untapped. Please come drink socially with us. I'm at Jake E4025. Scotty's at M-A-G-N-8606. Andrew, is this something you partake in? It's not. I, I can't even figure out Snapchat, which my kid's laughing me about, so I, I doubt I could add another social media platform to my repertoire. I'm just a Twitter type of person that, that I'm starting to, just starting to get an Instagram, but um, if, you, if you threw another one on me, I think I would just uh, spontaneously combust. As long as your kids are not on Untapped, I think we're okay. <laughs> not yet. All right, and that's going to bring us to the Manny Machado watch. Now, there are rumors about everywhere having to do with the Cubs and the Phillies in regard to what prospect packages each would be able to contribute and uh, whether or not Manny Machado is likely to re-sign there. And that, I think, is the key. Anybody that trades for Manny Machado is going to want him to re-sign, and everybody uh, thinks it's them. Now, I mentioned this before, uh, either last week or two weeks ago, and I, it, this was the first I have seen of this elsewhere. But uh, someone tweeted at Mark Viviano today with a trade um, recommendation between the Orioles and the Braves. And I'm totally excited about that because, one, I get TBS, right? So I, I would be able to see Manny Machado play uh, for the Braves. But I could see him play with Nick Markakis and Ryan Flaherty. And what could be finer than that? Uh, Andrew, any chance of this happening? Is this is this gaining steam or am I grasping at straws? I think a little bit of both. I mean, I definitely think the Braves are a team that would be interested in having Machado along. But... It's just a matter of what a team's going to be willing to give up and what the Orioles are going to be willing to take at this point. 
even if the Braves were not one of the teams to be in the mix for trading for Machado, I definitely think they would be in the mix for acquiring him this offseason, which is also something to think about. When it comes comes to the Cubs and Phillies, who you also mentioned, I definitely think those are two teams that if the Cubs were to, to say, give up Addison Russell, who I know has been talked about a lot when it comes to Manny Machado, I definitely think they would want to re-sign him because how else are you going to have a shortstop? Um, and the Phillies, regardless of what happens there, I think are going to be in the mix. The Phillies all along, I've thought, are the one team that is the front runner for Machado this offseason, just in terms of what they'll have to spend on him. Um, and kind of the the trajectory of that team in general. Um, I really think that they are a team on the rise, similar to the Braves in that in that same division, um, that's going to be looking to make a splash this offseason. They made a, a little bit of a splash with Jake Arrieta this past offseason. They'll try to make a bigger one this coming offseason, um, and Machado could be that guy. Well, if they thought they could break my heart with Jake Arrieta, they didn't know who I was. But if they're really after it, <laughs> go ahead and sign Manny Machado. That's the way to do it. So what else are we hearing? Uh, Rosenthal uh, reported today in The Athletic that Boston is currently not in the mix for Machado. But here's here's what I love. Um, I have been uh, reading NJ.com, right? New, New Jersey quote-unquote press. And they have the kind of reporting that we saw during the Dark Ages linking the Orioles to anyone of real value. So every every couple of weeks, there's an article on NJ.com talking about whether or not the Yankees can get at Machado or whether or not the Yankees can beat the Red Sox to Machado. And it has very little to do with reality. It's kind of nice to see that particular fan base grasp at straws because, you know, my, my dark age self looks back with spite. It's that New York, New Jersey market that is content, content, content. Let's write about who we don't have so that people can start talking about it. And it's it's working perfectly, let's be honest. But yeah, like you mentioned, Ken Rosenthal says Boston's not in the mix for Machado because the idea of them giving up on uh, their current third baseman, Rafael Devers, is seen as just a you know not a plausible thing right now. But truthfully, between now and when Machado is actually traded to a team, and let's all just rely on the fact that he will actually be traded before the deadline – you're going to hear that Boston is not in the mix. You're going to hear that they are back in the mix. And then you're going to hear that they're not in the mix again probably three or four more times. These types of things are fluent. There's still a month and a half to go before the deadline. And so a lot of these things are just going to be ever-changing at this point. The Yankees you know, and Red Sox, for that matter, would both love to have Manny Machado on their team. But again, the question goes back to would the Orioles be willing to trade him within the division. It's not like they're competing with either of those teams this year, so it really shouldn't matter. But I think, you know, what the Orioles would like to really control is where Machado goes next year. Of course, they can't do that. He's going to be a free agent. He can sign with whatever team he'd like. But if the Orioles had their way, that would that would be what they how they would go about it. The one thing I will take umbrage with for what you said right there was content, content, content. Yeah. The, the Red Sox media can talk about Manny Machado three or four times because then I'll have something to talk about that isn't wins and losses for the Orioles. Right. It's a circle of content at this point. It is. It is indeed. <laughs> time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. I'm going to listen to your heartbeat, fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. It's okay if you giggle. This will only tickle a little. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. All right, let's go ahead and skip over to the medical wing. 
Now, if you look at the Orioles' uh, roster as far as injuries are concerned, the medical wing is getting pretty full these days. Uh, but it's not full, necessarily, of names that you'd like to see back at the major league level. Um, and with the ward really full, I, I look at that and I say the big losses there are, are Blyer, which is a, a big deal for the way he had been used this season. Uh, it's not good to see Andrew Kashner down. Uh, and then beyond that, I mean, I guess, you know, it'd be nice to have Tim Beckham, but uh, y- y- I'm not really in the in a hurry to see any of these other guys. What about you? No, I agree. The Richard Blyer injury really stinks because you thought maybe he was another player that they would be able to flip at the deadline and get a very, very mid-level prospect backed for. Blyer had been pitching so well, and as a lefty out of the bullpen, that always has value at any trade deadline, no matter what the market. So to see him go down, and, and not only go down, but go down for the entire season, it really does stink not just for him personally, but also for the Orioles, because you thought maybe there was something there of value. Um, the other two guys you mentioned, yeah, Andrew Kashner going down stinks, but it sounds like it won't be a super long-term injury. He could be back as, as early as later this week. Um, and Tim Beckham is another one who could possibly be back as late as or as early as later this week. Um, he's been doing some rehab games here and there and trying to record from that core muscle surgery. I mean, the Orioles infield was not great when Beckham was a part of it, but since he's gone down, you've seen Jace Peterson, Pedro Alvarez, Danny Valencia all just try to, to hold down the fort over there at third base. And I emphasize the word try because it hasn't been very good. Uh, excuse me, that's noted third baseman Danny Valencia to you, sir. A guy like uh, Tim Beckham coming back might cost a Danny Valencia his roster spot in a season in which the Orioles are so bad that once Manny Machado is traded and Richard Blyer gets hurt, Danny Valencia might be the Ty Wigginton Oriole sent to the All-Star game. Or he could be trade bait. You know, t- teams could be looking for a guy who can hit left-handed pitching. So the fact that Danny Valencia has maybe outside of Machado and Adam Jones been the most productive offensive player on this team, which let me just repeat that Danny Valencia has maybe been the third most productive offensive player on this baseball team. That's jarring, number one. But the, that could mean that he's a trade candidate and, and he could end up turning into something of, I'm not going to say value, but something of something in a, in, in a trade coming back to the Orioles. It's awfully strong language there, something of something. <laughs> I'd like to think of Danny Valencia as the poor man's uh, uh, yes. Steve Pierce. And if we could just Absolutely. get that. And the fact that you have a poor man Steve Pierce is, is something else. Uh, anybody else on the medical wing worth talking about? Is, have, we, uh, have we beat that horse dead? I don't want to go too far in talking about beating horses dead, but I mean, they're going to have to do something about Colby Rasmus probably this week too. Um, and that could be just activating him and cutting him, but it could, it's the Orioles. So it could be activating him and somehow finding space for him in the lineup. I don't know. I don't know what this team's going to do with Colby Rasmus, but he's another guy that has been on the way back from an injury. And your guess is as good as mine as to what his future holds. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for the medical wing. Let's charge on over to this week on the Twitters and discuss Orioles baseball in 280 characters or fewer. Uh, the first one is from Bob Nightingale, and this is, um, well, this is something. Uh, the tweet is as follows. This is, of course, uh, Bob Nightingale at B Nightingale. Congratulations to the Baltimore 
hashtag Orioles, who finally won their 20th game this season. They're now 20-50 and 50 and on a pace to finish with a 46-116 and 116 record. Yikes. Here's the thing. When the Orioles were losing all those games uh, in the early part of the season, I, I was doing the math myself and saying, no, it's ridiculous to try to project this out. But at this at this point, the Orioles have played 70 games. This kind of is who they are. I mean, they may very well be on a pace to be the worst team in franchise history and may very well be in the neighborhood of challenging those 62 Mets for the worst season ever. That's kind of spectacular given how, you know, at least... But at least they didn't start the season like, I don't know, 0-21. I mean, how would it be possible for a team to even do that? But I I can't even imagine that a franchise would even be able to go on after uh, doing... Something like that. <laughs> the thing is, though, is that when you have an 0-21 record like that, it, it's like an event, and <laughs> a thing that's memorable. This season won't have that. Like, there will be no 30-3 to game. There will be no 0-21 start. There's you say there won't be a 30-3 to game, but there are still over, well over 80 games to be played. So don't count your chickens. You, you have a very good point. Uh, we have... MLB Trade Rumors, tweeting at MLB Trade Rumors, the hashtag Orioles demoted their starting catcher to the minors Sunday. And that is, of course, Chance Sisko. Does that make any sense to you? Uh, you know, we're going to have to talk about this for a minute because no, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Um, Chance Sisko has been getting the bulk of the playing time for the Orioles this season. And it, what was really weird is he was not in the lineup on Sunday and they said he was not feeling well. He was sick. And then they demoted him to Norfolk after the game. So it definitely, you know, was a head scratcher for me. And then they recalled Caleb Joseph. And my only thought was maybe in an effort to emulate the, the 1988 team, which was <clears throat> 0 and 21 to start the season and uh, which they're virtually on pace for the same amount of wins with the season. Maybe they want to have two brothers playing on the same team again, like the Ripken boys back then. They can have the Joseph the Joseph brothers now, of course, with Corbin getting called up. I don't know, but demoting Cisco just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me at all. Yeah, and, and you know, I looked to see, you know, maybe Caleb, or maybe Caleb, maybe Chance Cisco wasn't holding up his, his end of the bargain, but at least offensively he was doing fine. In the last two weeks he had a weighted runs created plus of 120. He had a weighted runs created plus of 101 over the last 30 days. Um, so it's not like he has been struggling real hard at the plate, especially for a team that I'm sorry can afford to have a, a league average catcher or any offensive player on it. Uh, I am somewhat intrigued about the uh, he's sick and he hasn't slept for three days thing um, because that's either complete crap and they're just uh, hiding the real reason or, you know, there's a real problem. And uh, I can't quite figure out why they would need to send him to the minors. You know, if he's sick, okay, maybe you can't, you know, run with one catcher, but I don't know, it just doesn't smell doesn't smell right for me yeah it's definitely odd and i mean cisco you know you mentioned some of his numbers and and how he hasn't been you know struggling mightily he's been struggling about as mightily as as the rest of the team to be perfectly honest yeah it's not like he's been an offensive force um but the real question for me with cisco is if this is a young catcher that you think is your future at the position 
what is he going to learn from going back down to AAA at this point? It almost reminds me of what the Orioles tried to do a, a couple of years ago with Kevin Gosman. They kept sending him up and down and up and down between the big league club and between AAA. And if that was a thing, you know, if, if it didn't totally screw up Kevin Gosman, it definitely messed with him a little bit. Um, I'm not sure why they would want to do that with Cisco. What what I found really odd, and you mentioned the illness, um, Masson's Rock Kabatko. In, in his piece about the demotion spoke about how Showalter indicated that Cisco was ill, but he wouldn't say that uh, he wouldn't quite use the word that he was ill and, and said he was coming down with having not slept for two or three days and he didn't have a great energy level. And if that's the case, if the guy is, is, is sick or is not feeling well, you know, you can use the, the, dis- the disabled list for that kind of thing rather than, rather than demoting him. It's just all very confusing in a season of, very confusing for this team at this point. Yeah. I, I don't want to make too big a deal out of it because honestly, when everything's going so poorly, you know, one weird thing or even one bad thing, it's just a drop right. in a bucket. So, you know, it's not really <laughs> worth freaking out over, but it's just, it's a head scratcher. Yeah. It gets lumped in with all the other things that have just gone weirdly wrong this season. All right. Next, I want to go and look at a team that's not only successful on the field, but also successful off the field. I've said that the Orioles, I think, are getting better at social media, but they have a long way to go before they are in Cleveland Indians territory. This is a tweet from the hashtag Indians. The tweet is as follows. We want to bring style to D.C. this summer. There's only one AL shortstop who can do that. Fire emoji. Hashtag vote Frankie. And this is a this is an attack ad on Manny Machado saying that Manny wears socks and sandals. This is a great, great tweet. I, 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 I tip my cap. I'm almost tempted to vote, Frankie. I was encouraged when you pointed this out to me uh, before the show, and I looked at it, and it just put a big smile on my face. With everything that's going on in the world, we finally have a, a fun political jab and this is exactly how this thing is set up it's like a political video um there is even a little message from frankie lindor at the end saying that he approves this message um it's clever it's fun it's great good job cleveland indians yeah and the the other funny thing is that like we also need some humor here in birdland yes (laughs) everything sucks here oh thank god uh so i enjoyed that one yeah 100 percent uh i want to take us to <laughs> something that just made me chuckle because, like you said, we need a little bit of humor as Orioles fans. Uh, I go to the Twitter account of Pressbox's Rich Dubroff, who tweets at Rich Dubroff MLB. Uh, he tweeted this uh, over the weekend. Hashtag Orioles had a well-attended yoga session on the field after the game. My favorite part was watching a woman walk out of the park with a yoga mat in one hand and a cigarette in the other. And that just, to me, it just painted a beautiful picture of... <laughs> of an Orioles fan who had her priorities in line. I think it's hysterical that the Orioles basically have to to lower themselves to minor league baseball attractions to get people in the park. Like, you know, it, it now it's it's yoga on the field and at what point at what point is it like, you know, cowboy monkey radio rodeo? Well, I hope um, so. That would provide some entertainment. Dude, if you've never seen that, google it. It is well worth your time. I just think the Orioles, you know, I, I like some of the things the Orioles have done. You know, they had a Star Wars night earlier this year. They uh, they had Sandlot night where they showed the, showed the movie uh, on the big screen. They've had yoga night. There's a couple of other John Williams night the other night. 
Yeah, John Williams was there. They're going to have a, a Pride Night coming up. Uh, there, there's a lot of different things that they're doing that are great to engage the fans. And it couldn't come at a better time because the product on the field is awful. Um, you know, it's not like they announced these things after they realized they were going to be a 20 and 50 ball club. They announced these things early in the year. It all goes into the, like, the Kids Cheer Free program that they announced. Um, it's all part of a plan to try to do something with this organization to get it, you know, into the 21st century, uh, which would be nice. So I, I'm encouraged, but, um, I really just enjoyed Rich Dubroff's, uh, uh analysis of, of one fan who, uh, who decided to, to partake in not only the yoga, but the, the nicotine as well afterwards. <laughs> All right. Lastly, let's look at a tweet from Ken Rosenthal. I'm pretty sure this is the blue check, Ken Rosenthal. It's at Ken underscore Rosenthal. Uh, hashtag Orioles have interviewed former hashtag Dodgers, L.A., GM Ned Coletti for an executive position. Sources tell The Athletic. Team also believed to be interviewing others, but have not asked permission to speak with anyone currently working for a club. Coletti is an analyst for Sportsnet LA. And I don't want to dive too much into this because, spoiler alert, we may see this one as we go around the bases. Here we are, ready to go around the bases in Orioles baseball. The team may not make it all the way around, but this week, this week, we here at Bird's Eye View will. Uh, so, Andrew, we teased it in the uh, This Week on the Twitter segment, but let's talk about it. Ned Coletti was interviewed for, for an executive position by the Baltimore Orioles, an unnamed executive position. What do you make of this news? Well, it's a little weird. When I first read it, I was a little taken aback because technically the Orioles apparently interviewed someone for a job that is not available. And that's because the man that currently owns that job, Dan Duquette, you know, is still technically in that role. And, and I thought even weirder when Duquette was asked about it, he pretty much denied it. So there's definitely something fishy going on here. Uh, Duquette told BaltimoreBaseball.com that my understanding is it's not true. Well, that might be his understanding, but according to other reports, it is true. And, you know, regardless of what you think about Coletti himself, to me, it was more about maybe this is the first sign of life that the Orioles are showing that they might want to start to plan for beyond 2018 in their front office. I can't believe I'm going to say this next thing, but I thought that Peter Schmuck said something interesting about it when he said that... (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding, I like Schmuck. Uh, When he said that uh, part of the losing is that the rumor mill will absolutely explode for the Orioles. And I thought that that was pretty insightful in the fact that, you know, they could have been talking to him about a lot of opportunities if they did, in fact, talk to him that have nothing to do with baseball operations um 
it's also possible that there's fire with this smoke. I mean, you know, back in what, uh, whenever McPhail came in, uh, you know, Mike Flanagan and Jim Duquette's job wasn't open. Apparently the president of baseball operations job was open and they just brought him in over top. So, uh, you know, the organization has done this before. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what direction they, they finally move in. Right. And, and like I said, the fact that, if there is fire to this smoke, the fact that they are finally starting to perhaps address what's in the plans for the front office beyond this year is, I guess, encouraging. I wish they wouldn't have waited until June to do something like that. Um, you know, but it, it definitely leaves a lot of questions such as what does the future then hold for Buck Showalter? What could any possible future with the team hold for a guy like Brady Anderson? Um, it, it opens up a lot of a lot of different doors and windows to you know for those rumors, like you mentioned, that there's going to be those rumors just flying, and you know to Peter Schmuck's point, that comes with losing. My question is, if it is Ned Coletti, if this is if this guy is a candidate to have a role in the front office, whether that be GM or something else, what are your thoughts on that? Is Ned Coletti a guy that you would want to see? In the Orioles organization. I'm really glad you asked the question, and so I'm going to dodge it artfully by saying this. I don't want to shock you, um, but I am not an expert in selecting baseball operations personnel. Um, well, that, that does shock me. And I, and I do think that Orioles fans need to remind themselves that they are all like me in that regard. Um, but no, in short, in short, no, I, I wouldn't want a guy like Ned Coletti. He, he's got, you know, a resume with a team that has had success, um, which, uh, okay, is okay, I guess. But when I look at um, what the Orioles should be doing, you know, I look at what the Astros are doing. I look at what the Cardinals are doing. And, and I say to myself, go find the Eric DaCosta of successful baseball teams. Don't find the guys that have already done this once before. And yes, that worked with Dan Duquette spectacularly, you know, compared to my, my expectations. But I would say go find the young up and comers. And the other thing that I would do is I would look within the baseball community itself, you know, in the industry, maybe outside of baseball operations for teams and look at a candidate like, say, Kim Ng from Major League Baseball, who's the head of, uh, international relations, um, or international operations rather. Uh, I know that we don't necessarily uh, philosophically participate in that, uh, but that's the kind of executive that knows how to uh, build a team that evaluates talent. Well, that's 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 an artfully dodged question, and I appreciate that. Um, I guess my response would be, I think it goes beyond whoever is in charge of the, the front office from a general manager standpoint, like Duquette is right now, um, and like you know any potential candidate like Ned Coletti could be. Um, I think it goes to, and, and you mentioned that word philosophically, you know, whether or not they are going to philosophically participate in other things, aside from just having a guy pushing the buttons and, and, and turning the gears, uh, this team needs a uh, pretty much an overhaul in terms of its analytics, its scouting, um, and it's especially in its international scouting. And if none of those three things are going to change, none of the results are going to change, no matter who is the one pushing the buttons at the top. Um, and even perhaps beyond that, uh, even higher up than the GM level. Um, if those things aren't going to change, I don't care if Dan Duquette 
Ned Coletti or Jake English is in charge, none of it will change. By the way, uh, Orioles, call me. I, I may be available. Um, do, you, do you think one thing that you, one area you didn't mention was development? Are you satisfied with the current state of the Orioles development process or do you think that that also needs an overhaul? You know, I, I don't think you can ever be satisfied, but I do think that they've done a decent job, at least, um, in comparison to, let's say, the Dark Ages of developing some players. They, they, you know, there's certain players that they've developed in the past few years that that were going to be can't misses, like Manny Machado, um, and then there are others like perhaps Jonathan Scope and Trey Mancini, where they've shown flashes. But now th- those are two players, for example, that are in the midst of just abysmal campaigns. And, and you start to wonder whether or not you've seen the best of them already or whether there is another level for them to reach. So there's obviously improvements that can be made in the development aspect as well. But again, that goes beyond the general manager or executive vice president of baseball operations, whatever you want to call that position. Um, it goes well beyond that. And, and that's just kind of the guy pushing the buttons at the top. They they need an overhaul throughout. And, of course, you know, as they say, the fish rots from the head. You've got to change it there if things aren't going well, and then it'll, you know, it'll filter throughout the system. But um, at this point, you know, this is an organization that definitely needs a swift kick in the pants in all regards uh, at this point. Well, let's talk over at second base about folks that may or may not need a swift kick in the pants. Uh, Chris Davis was benched. And I gotta be honest with you, maybe it's because the team has been dreadful and all of us are not paying as, as quick attention as, as we should. But I kind of feel like it snuck up on us, right? Like, Chris Davis wasn't in the lineup and you're like, okay, well he's been not in the lineup a little bit more frequently. Then he wasn't in the lineup again. And then by the third day it happened, you were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, where's, what's going on with Chris Davis? I was a little surprised that the Orioles went and did this. Um, they put a guy who is making that much money, just stuck him on the bench and said, okay, that's enough. We've had it. And let's be honest, <laughs> we're talking about a Chris Davis who has four home runs this year. How many games have they played? 70? Four home runs in 70 games? He's hitting 150. He's struck out 86 times in 57 games and has only walked 19 times. He's just fallen completely off the face of the earth. And it's it's not only sad to see, it's it's fascinating to see at this point. I almost wish they would keep playing him just because it's almost a novelty. Um, you know, there was a story that came out last week about a bar in Baltimore that was offering up a free shot every time Chris Davis got a hit. And I guess they're going to be saving a lot more of those shots if, if he's on the bench now. I mean, it's just, it's comical how far he has fallen. And the, what, what's even more bizarre is the decision making that goes into this process. I don't know kind of where the Orioles go from here. Is Chris Davis just from here on out a part time player? Is he just only going to hit occasionally against right handers only? Um, or do the Orioles have some kind of belief that he will return to maybe being a half or a quarter of the player that he used to be, because any of that would be better than what he is right now. Yeah, here's a really unpopular uh, thought. I think Chris Davis probably should be playing. You know, I don't know, and again, I'm not a professional hitting coach, um, but I don't know how you get out of the slump without playing. And this is already a lost season. 
I mean, it's just a time sink at this point. The Orioles are basically just getting their work in from here until the final game of the season. And so what better low-key, low-pressure way is there for Chris Davis to break out of it than at the major league level playing for the Baltimore Orioles where nobody's going to see him? You know, there's nobody in the stands. The the viewership has to be down, and it's not like the media is laser-like focused outside of Baltimore as far as what's going on here. Yeah, there may be a Deadspin article every once in a while, or Bleacher Report may take a swing at him, but if you're a Major League Baseball player, I don't think you pay attention to that crap anyway. I, I think that having him play is the only way you're going to hope to get something out of him in the future. And if you get to the end of that season and it didn't happen, well, then maybe you make a really hard decision. But right now, you know, what he's failed to work with Coolball. He's failed to, to right the ship already. Uh, how's, how's the time that he's spending really going to help him? I mean, I guess if Bleacher Report is going to occasionally take a swing at him, maybe he should read that and learn what a swing looks like. That's, you know, because he, that's something he hasn't been doing either. Um Cheap shot aside, at this point, there, there's there's no chance that the Orioles are just going to cut bait with him. I mean, the man is owed $23 million a year through 2022, and that doesn't include the deferred money that the team owes him after his his you know his free agent com- season comes up. So there's there's just there's so much money owed. If this is a team that wouldn't cut bait with Ubaldo Jimenez when he only had half a season left on his contract, they're not going to do it with Chris Davis. But they are stuck with this contract, and I tend to agree with you that he should just play because what else are they going to throw out there that is, you know, so much better than Chris Davis? Are they going to continue to play Trey Mancini at first base? Well, if that's the case, why not call up someone like Cedric Mullins or DJ Stewart to play in left field in place of Mancini? At this point, I realize that it's just moving deck chairs on the Titanic, but at least maybe you get a view of something that could be for the future at this level. Yeah, I agree. Um, if they really want, if they really want Chris Davis to be this, the team's first baseman for the next four years, like he's under contract to do, they might as well just let him be the first baseman, uh, through all of the, the terribleness that this, this team will, will continue to show on the field. Dude, you're bumming me out. Let's let's move on to third base, all right? And let's look to the horizon and come with me. Let's dare to hope, shall we? Uh, let's take a look at the minor league level. Let's take a look at maybe the 40-man roster. Hey, even beyond the 40-man roster. And uh, let's see if there's any hope to be had here. Let me just, um, I'm scrolling. I'm looking for hope. I'm scrolling. Um, all right, now I'm bumming myself out. Is there anything that you look at in, in the roster outside of uh, the 25-man and think to yourself, I'm looking forward to seeing that? Um, no, not really. I mean, that's the, that's the sad part. I just mentioned two names but uh, in, in Mullins and DJ Stewart. But, you know, th- there are a few outfield prospects here and there. But I'll tell you what, beyond that, it is not great. Yeah, and if you look at the the Tides roster and then you look at, say, the pitching, they don't have any, uh, well, you know, you don't usually have a ton of prospects at AAA anyway, but they don't really have any exciting names waiting to get out of there. Um, You know, we look at the fact that uh, Eddie Gamboa is back to playing games in Norfolk. Uh, You know, we look at the fact that Chris Lee is now there uh, uh, instead of Bowie this year. 
Um, Lee is really the only name that I think is even possibly interesting, but I think that his star is kind of uh, uh, faded as far as what he's considered in the organization. And then the the infield is a complete wasteland. And you're right, until you get to the outfield of, of uh, Norfolk, it, nothing's really exciting. Uh, and then moving on to Bowie, uh, there are even fewer names that are exciting. And frankly, the exciting names... The fact that they're in Bowie is what bums me out. I mean, you know, Austin Hayes is there, and Anthony Santander is there, and, you know, beyond that, it's like, ugh, why are these guys there? The only thing at Bowie uh, that I think is really exciting um, is, you know, uh, Ryan Mountcastle. And at some point, you know, maybe that guy will be playing in a middle or you know, middle infield or out, uh, corner outfield position for the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, you would hope so, and and you know right now it's just a matter of getting all a lot of these guys healthy. Um, you know, Mountcastle started out the season with a, a fractured right hand, and and it's just a matter of you know a lot of the guys that that they the team would look at as prospects have had either injury hiccups and or you know just poor performance. I mean, we've seen that from Austin Hayes, who you mentioned this season, who has just simply not played well, um, and then kind of the biggest you know, fish in that small pond who is another guy who's dealt with a lot of injury issues that everyone's kind of wondering about at this point is Hunter Harvey. Hunter Harvey was thought of previously as a guy who could maybe contribute this season uh, with the Orioles. And at this point, they're just still kind of waiting around to find out whether or not he'll be healthy enough to pitch um, going forward. And that's, that's really just incredibly discouraging and heartbreaking and, it's a it's a harsh reminder as to why this team is perpetually ranked in the bottom third in terms of their minor league farm system. The only thing that I will say is that, you know, maybe for folks that pay attention to the farm a little closer than I do, it wasn't a surprise. But I was pleasantly surprised by Trey Mancini. I was pleasantly surprised by Jonathan Scope. So I'm hoping that there are those diamonds in the rough down there that I'm maybe not so excited about um, that will that will help us out. Well, and you bring up those two names, and I mentioned them earlier in terms of development. You hope, and I hope, that Trey Mancini and Jonathan Scope didn't post their career years in 2017. You hope that those guys can continue to get better, because I agree with you. They were pleasant surprises. Uh, the seasons that they both had last year, Scope obviously was an all-star for the first time, and Mancini finished third in the Rookie of the Year voting. You hope that those weren't the, those weren't the peaks of the mountain. You hope that there's more room to climb for both of those guys because if there's not, then there's a big issue. Um, they, while they were surprises, they might have been one year surprises, and and that's what I'm kind of nervous about right now. And especially I'm especially nervous about it when it comes to scope because there's a lot of talk about you know there's 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 no chance they're going to trade him at this point because he has absolutely no value with the season he's having, and of course he's a free agent after next year, so there's going to be a lot of co- talk about a possible contract extension. And if they're going to go out and give him a contract extension. You know, you would hope that it's a reasonable one with the season he's had. It's just, it's one of those very puzzling things that he's had, that he's had to deal with. Well, remember, the Orioles are really good at throwing money away when it comes to contracts. That's true, especially when they do it on the right side of the infield. All right. Well, it's bumming me out to look down at the at the minors. It's bumming me out to look forward, but I'll always have the memory. So as we round into home. I want to look back a little bit. Um, I was watching a baseball game with my son this week. My son is seven. 
by the way, right? Uh, prime falling in love with baseball age, and he is not—he has not disappointed me. Um, but we're watching the game, and at some point, just non sequitur, apropos of nothing, he calls out Matt Weeders. I looked at him. I was like, "Dude, Matt, Matt, Matt Weeders doesn't play for the Orioles anymore. He's—he's he's gone." And he goes, "Yeah, I just—I I just wanted to say Matt Weeders." It's like, okay, you're frightening me, but whatever. But I got to thinking. <laughs> Like, oh, Matt Wieters, that's kind of a fun memory from the the good days, you know, the buckle-up birds era that may be the only thing that sustains my fandom for the next few years. And I look back, like, what am I going to be fondly remembering? You know, sometimes you walk down Utah Street and there will be some some players there to booth, uh, former players there to sign autographs. And I think to myself, who am I going to be delighted to see you know, signing autographs on, on Utah Street uh, and think back and go, oh, yeah, there's that guy. Uh, and so I, I made a quick little list here. And I'm curious, Andrew, as to, to what, you know, you've really uh, clung on to. But when all is said and done, I think that watching um, uh, 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 watching Mark Reynolds in, in Baltimore has just been hysterical. Um, from him failing to play third base adequately, moving on to first base and having this like signature weird fall over slash dive for the ball thing, and then also hitting balls like 900 feet or nothing. Uh, he was just a very uh, uh, representative player of the 2012 to 2014 Orioles. And I think I will actually look back fondly at the Sheriff of Swaddingham. I totally agree with you. Um, I think there's another name in there that, you know, we, we mentioned earlier in this podcast and that's Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce is another one of those types of guys who, you know, there was a period there where he was bouncing around position to position, uh, playing the outfield, playing, playing second base at one point, even, uh, and it was it was always interesting times when Steve Pierce was around because he was he was normally hitting the ball pretty well and uh, just providing a lot of special moments for the early Buckshow Walter era Orioles and um, I feel like seeing him on Utah Street one day hanging out and and saying hi to fans would 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 bring a smile to my face. Absolutely, and then of course you know Robert Andino will never have to buy a beer in town like anytime he's in Baltimore. Uh, just for what he did on that one game in, in 2011. But then also, you know, he was around for the beginning of the Magic. I think that, uh, you know, clearly he hasn't been on a ton of successful teams that have made it uh, quite as far as the Orioles did then, and that might be, you know, the part of his career he hangs his hat on. Absolutely. And there's, you know, there's there's also, and this one's going to be a little controversial, but because it's a name that whenever it gets brought up, people kind of grimace or you know, just kind of grown, but I always kind of wondered what could be if injuries hadn't gotten in the way. And, uh, you know, if, if the struggles hadn't been so mighty with Nolan Reimold, uh, Nolan Reimold was always a player that the Orioles were bringing back and always making me scratch my head as to why. But at the same time, I don't think the dude ever, you know, got a fair shake. And I don't think he, uh, you know, I don't think he was soft or brittle or anything. I think he just got really unlucky with some injuries, and he provided some decent moments in the in these few years that he was bouncing around with the Orioles. And um, I don't think that there was you know anything wrong with the effort he gave. And and you know, like I said, I'll always wonder kind of what could have been with a guy who just struggled to stay on the field. 
So my complicated emotions for Nolan Reimold have nothing to do with him and are totally not his fault. However, I will still hold him responsible for it. Nolan Reimold was the the uh, embodiment of my disappointment with those Orioles um, that that preceded the good years because you know he blasted out of the minors and was really really good for a rookie and then he got hurt and you were like man. We have really got something. This is going to be awesome. And then, you know, it was tease after tease after tease with declining hope and then just hopelessness. And that really, you know, represented everything that, that happened in those years. So not his fault, and I'm sure he's a nice guy, but the reason I moan and groan is because he defines that that terrible time for me. No, that's absolutely true. What about Tommy Hunter? Speaking of another guy that I'll never have to buy a, a beer in town, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with Tommy Hunter on, on just about any topic. He was definitely one of the guys on my list. He And, of course, this is a guy who's still pitching and, and still pitching pretty well. Um, and if you sat down and had a conversation with him, you would enjoy it because Tommy Hunter would be able to do that. And and trust me, if you you know were walking down Utah Street and saw him signing autographs you would want to jump over there and 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 have a talk with him and and enjoy yourself for sure all right last one on my list and this is a weird one but last one on my list is Wilson Bedemeet um and not only because Scott has a great Wilson story with uh, Scott uh, with uh, Wilson Bedemeet but also because Bedemeet to me was like the closing of the door of the suckdom he was the has-been third baseman that the Orioles got and decided, no, this isn't good enough anymore, and they brought up Manny Machado. Um, you know, kind of the uh, kind of the anti-Ryan Miner you know, type of deal, if you will. But uh, for me, you know, looking back at Wilson Bedemy, I kind of remember that fondly because, you know, he was a disaster in the field and, um, you know, he was a character and all that kind of good stuff. But it has an association with the no question, teams. no question. The last two I have come as a kind of a package deal, and they're probably really obvious and probably even a little um, high in terms of the the type of players that we're talking about here. But I guarantee you that these ha- these two guys would have a chance of popping up on Utah Street for some autograph sessions down the road, um, and that that's because they're technically family members and they're still playing for the same team. And, and I'm of course talking about Nick Markakis and Ryan Flaherty. What two players on probably opposite ends of the spectrum better, you know, exemplify what the Orioles were in those early Buck Showalter years? Um, one riding the bench and filling in here and there, and the other was a stalwart in right field until they let him walk away in free agency. And um, those two guys, you know, Marquecas is, of course, widely beloved throughout Baltimore, um, and Flaherty is, I think, mostly beloved in Baltimore, but also kind of <laughs> resented for, for, for some, which I think is funny. Um, Flaherty's another guy that kind of gave it his all, uh, despite maybe not having the talent as the rest of the, uh, the Orioles, but you know, he was, I think mostly, uh, mostly look fondly on and I think would be in the future. Excellent selections. Uh, Birdland, be sure to let us know who you'd like to see on Utah Street and or, you know, at a local establishment having a few drinks of the week. Um, that's going to happen for us, the, you know, as, as we all get older. The, the heroes and not heroes of our past come back to haunt us on Utah Street.
All right, it is now time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, Jake, I'm going to start us off with the good because we know there's plenty of bad and ugly to get to. Uh, my good for this week is Adam Jones. And look, it, it's it's tough to find good with this Orioles team right now, but Jones over the last week has provided some. Uh, he had 10 base hits, hit 417, only struck out twice, and could be a guy that is creating himself some trade value here as we motor toward the trade deadline. Um, of course, he would have the right to veto any trade with 10 and 5 rights, but at this point, I don't know if Adam Jones would definitely want to stick around for a team that is going after the most losses in MLB history. Yeah, I'm not sure anybody would work too hard to, to stay on this team, but I hear you. Uh, my my good is somewhat in a similar vein. Again, it has a lot to do with trade value. My good this week is going to go to Zach Britt. Now, I know, I know. He pitched three innings, and one of them was kind of rough. But Zach Britton threw three innings, and his Achilles didn't blow, and he didn't give up seven home runs, and with the exception of that first outing, he, he looked okay. In his three innings, he, he faced 14 batter, yeah, 14 batters, 12 batters. It was 12 batters. And, um, and his ground ball percentage is way up there. So I think that Zach Britton is getting back to doing the things that he needs to do. Will he ever be the dominant closer he once was? I don't think we'll ever know here in Baltimore, and frankly, it'd be good to trade him before anybody else finds out either. Yeah, and you mentioned trading him. That trade kind of machine for for relief pitchers has already started now uh, as the Washington Nationals acquired Kelvin Herrera from the Royals. So Britton and Herrera were kind of the two major relief pieces in this trade market to start, and now one has already been moved. So uh, there's no reason Britton to perhaps the Houston Astros couldn't happen here in the near future once he gets a few more innings under his belt. I I totally see that one. Uh, Let's move on to the bad and. I hate to do this, but I'm going to throw David Hess under the bus a little bit here. Um, got roughed up by the Red Sox in his outing last week, giving up five runs in just three and a third innings, including two homers. Um, it's the second time he's faced the Red Sox in a start this season, second time he's gotten roughed up. Um, I, I like what I've seen from David Hess other than those two starts. He, he's, he's looked decent, but um, he did kind of take it on the chin last week and and. Who knows? I mean, I'd like to see more of David Hess, but there's a chance that he could be the guy that gets demoted to make room for a player like Andrew Kashner to come back this week. So we'll have to see. I, I thought David Hess was going to, you know, be able to stick around, and, and, and that could happen down the road. But, you know, this week he's got to fall into my bad category. All right, my bad is going to go to Joey Rickard. And uh, for Rickard, it's not so much about what he's doing or failing to do. It's when he's doing it. Joey Rickard is on the roster, which is weird enough, but he's got the time to showcase himself to see whether or not this is going to be a player the Orioles should uh, pay attention to, invest in, and he's blowing it big time. Uh, Over the last week, his weighted runs created plus is 37. Even though he appeared in five games with 19 at-bats, he's not doing anything with any opportunities. This is a guy that they picked out of the Rule 5 draft, and, you know, maybe a guy like that is worth keeping on the roster. But I think Joe Rickard is proving himself to be nothing more than organizational fodder and perhaps a fourth outfielder in a pinch. I couldn't agree with you more. Let's quickly move on to the ugly so that we can try to end the pain. Uh, my ugly is going to go to Trey Mancini. I talked about him earlier. Uh, he has just been really, really bad this season. And in this past week, three hits, three total bases, a 125 average. He struck out nine times compared to just one walk. 
uh, he has just been ugly. All right. My ugly is, uh, well, I'm not even sure what's ugly. Andrew, I don't know if it's if it's my feelings. I don't know if it's Major League Baseball. But I got to tell you this. I went to school in Washington, D.C. I love the area. I love the town. I love the people. I really do like Washington, D.C. But I'm not having a particularly good emotional connection with this MLB All-Star game in D.C. because I think that the selection of D.C. was one of the ways in which Major League Baseball um, expressed themselves in their ongoing dispute with the Baltimore Orioles, you know, uh, selecting All-Star sites out of order, selecting them with Orioles, uh, you know, rivals with the, the Washington Nationals and the Blue Jays. And you can say maybe I'm reading too much into that, but with the odd selection of Washington by Major League Baseball, with that in the back of my mind, it does take away a little bit from what should be a cool experience. I, I, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to watch the game without it being tainted a little bit by something I view as Major League Baseball thumbing. Well, I totally understand that. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, and I, I, I even tend to agree with you. It's, it's going to be a tough thing to even stomach watching the game, but I do have kind of one thing that could be a slight saving grace, and I don't know if it's stepping on your toes, but I know how you guys like to blow the save every week. Would, would you mind if I take the ball? No, let's let's do it. Let's uh, let's play some music. We'll come back and we'll blow the save. All-Star game is probably going to stink for the Orioles fans to watch. There may be one representative, maybe, uh, this year. But uh, honestly, for Orioles fans, there is a small saving grace. As right now, leading the National League outfielders in All-Star voting is one Nick Markakis. And honestly, seeing Nick Markakis play in an All-Star game is my only interest in an all-star game this year. I know that sounds silly. He doesn't play for the Orioles anymore. He's, of course, with the Atlanta Braves. But he's having a fantastic season for a young team that is charging through the NL East and hopefully and possibly on its way to a playoff spot. And I know it really doesn't mean a whole lot to Nick himself, but it means a lot to me as an Orioles fan who has watched Nick Markakis throughout the years and – I just want to see that final push over the next few weeks for Markakis to get into the All-Star game so that I will have any reason to watch it. Right now, he uh, he has gotten over 1.1 million votes from the fan voting. He's leading Bryce Harper and Matt Kemp even uh, in, in, in the position, and at this point, it's my only saving grace. Uh, sure, it would be great to see Manny Machado play one more game as an Oriole all-star but if that doesn't happen i'm fine with it i just want to see nick markakis in what very well could be his best and last shot to make an all-star team get there and get himself off that list of best players to never make an all-star game um and that's what i'm going to be looking for in washington dc in about a month begrudgingly i have to say well said 
and maybe I'll watch too. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. Please remember to rate and review this show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Also, catch up with the guys at Bird's Eye View on social media. They're on Instagram, Facebook, and, of course, Snapchat, which I'm still figuring out. But the best way to get a hold of them is on Twitter, where they tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And while you're over there on Twitter, you can follow me at A. Stedka. You can also follow my writing each week. I write at Utah Street Report, where my feature Thursday Thoughts runs weekly. And you can also find my guest blog on MassInSports.com every Monday morning. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu. And for Scott, good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go, O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.